What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen, and I am actually honored to introduce this podcast that I did with Matt Kimball. Matt is the definition of persistence and relentless drive and action when it comes to real estate investing. His story is so powerful. It's amazing. From an architect to a stay-at-home dad to now a house flipper, it's been so fun to be along this journey with him over the past couple of years. And uh, to see his growth. And I'm honored. Like I'm, I love the fact that I get to bring him on the podcast today. So I hope you guys enjoy this. I asked him uh, who should go to Flip Hacking Live. And he said, if you have a pulse and you're interested in real estate investing, you should go to Flip Hacking Live. So a lot of really cool stuff and his story of coming to that event for a couple of years, finally jumping into the runway program, and then getting some of his first deals done over the past you know, few months. We recorded this about three months ago. We talk about Flip Hacking Live. We talk about his journey, all the, some of the struggles that he's had along the way, um, and what he's looking forward to going forward. So we also talk about Flip Hacking Live, and I just want to put a reminder in the front of this podcast that we might talk about the location and destination and things like that and uh, shaking hands and all these things, but we are making this a virtual experience this year. It's going to be absolutely amazing. You can come if you couldn't didn't think that you can come, you didn't think you could travel, afford to get on an airplane, go down to the hotel in Orlando, do all that stuff, you can make it this year. So there's, a, he's, he's right. If you have a pulse and you're interested in real estate investing this year, you have no excuse not to be there. It's going to be absolutely amazing. It's going to be three days of a live experience that we're going to put you through. Um, I'm setting it up now. I talked about it on this podcast that we prepare for this thing seven months in advance. Well, I got three again, just like last year, but it's going to be awesome. I just had a call with the event planner today. We started looking at the dashboard and, uh, and how we can uh, make this experience for you guys and uh, put you to the help desk and uh, conversations with some of the coaches and some of the other mentors and some of the members and breakout sessions and networking and all the things that we're going to do. It's going to be absolutely amazing. So without further ado, I want to welcome my good friend, Matt Kimball to the podcast. And I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Strap in. It's going to be a really, really good show. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. All right, everybody. I am here with Matt Kimball, and we're talking about kind of this first deal story segment that we're doing. And we've got other people, the other Runway members that have come on and have told their first deal stories or their first couple deal stories, or even potentially their first deal when they joined the Seven Figure Runway program. And I, I love the fact that I'm able to interview all of these different people that we have in the program because it allows me to get to know them a little bit better. And some of them I don't know that well, and some of them I know pretty well. So I think Matt is somebody who I have an extensive history with for the past couple of years, and I think it's gonna be fun to kind of break that down and talk to him today. So Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. I'm really excited to be here. It's gonna be a fun conversation. Man, I'm excited to have you, especially because I've seen this like exponential growth in you over the past probably year or so since the first time that we met and what you're doing. And it's just, I've not, I don't know if I've ever met anybody with as much kind of passion and drive and uh, focus as you. So I'm interested to, to talk about that and hear about kind of some of your struggles along the way, some of the wins and things like that. Cause I think this, this is probably one of the podcasts that's going to motivate a, a lot of people to figure out what they want to do and why. So why don't you just go back and tell a little bit about you and your story and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So one of the things, just to touch on what you're saying, I have 
a heck of a lot of excitement and, and passion and drive for this. And one of the things that I'm doing right now is learning how to take the right steps to actually start to move myself forward. So I'll go ahead and go back and just get a, give kind of a summary of, of kind of how I got into this. So I, I come from an architecture background. I grew up all around uh, houses that were under construction. My dad was really interested in it. So we spent a lot of time looking at homes, always you know, being that one family that was looking at homes that were under construction. Uh, it was always an interest of mine. Uh, ended up through school, went did a lot of drafting, architecture, art, design, a lot of that uh, type of background. Ended up getting a Master of Architecture, graduated with that, and went on a very linear pathway from, you know, from high school into architecture school and right out into the job force. I came out in 2008, or well, the end of 2008, 2009, when the market was just awful. And uh, I had a variety of different jobs, but because of the way the market was, it was really hard to, to really lock into a company. It was kind of in and out, in and out. And I did that for about five years. And I never really found a place that felt, felt like I belonged there. I'd had some really great people and built some really good relationships. But job-wise, I never really felt satisfied, and I knew that there was something else out there that I wanted to do. So what ended up happening, uh, as, as you know, Bill, so our daughter was born in uh, September of 2013. Uh, she decided to show up quite a bit early. Uh, she was a 24-weeker. So she needed a lot of help. She ended up spending five months in NICU care. So the last couple months of my employment was spent hour and a half on the road each week or each day to and from hospitals. So it was a wake up call. It was our first child. So we didn't know what it meant to have a kid. And it was a wake up call to evaluating my priorities and what was important to myself at the time, to my family, how I wanted to live other parts of my life. So when her daughter was released from the hospital, I knew that that job that I was at, which was a, you know, we call it like a good job. It had a lot of opportunities, but I was not happy there. It didn't, it didn't align with what I wanted to do future-wise. So I quit my job and stayed home with my daughter. And I'm still doing that today. <laughs> so it's been just over six years now. We've got two kiddos at home and it's, it's been quite a transition. It was never something I intended to do, be a stay-at-home parent. And I will tell you, especially these last couple of years, it has really challenged me to think about who I am, what I'm about, what's important to me, and how do I want to take that and apply it future in my life. And really, that, that is, that's kind of what had led me to reaching the point of discovering you and Justin and this particular group. And, that's, and so that's really kind of the transition point. Once I stopped working, it was literally, okay, I'm at home, but now what am I gonna do? It was pretty much on day one. It was like, okay, now I need to start thinking about my future. What am I gonna do? How am I gonna get myself back into the workforce? And where, what is the niche that I'm gonna find myself in? Because I knew that there was something out there and I knew it was gonna be something a little different, not, not a traditional route, because that didn't fit for me. So that's how I ended up finding, finding the group. Okay, so um, when you left your job six years ago, was your wife working full-time or how were you guys making income? Yeah, so my wife has been working full-time. She actually started working before I even graduated. She's a pharmacist and she was supporting us at that point. Uh, so obviously we took a hit because I was in the process of growing financially as well as position-wise. 
but she was making a lot more than I was. And we said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay at home and, and take care of the family on the home front. And she's going to continue to be a worker. Okay. And so then uh, immediately you're, you, you come out of work, right? You've been working for five years uh, after school and you've got a, a new baby that you're taking care of. Right. Yep. And you're immediately like, there's more here. Like I've got to figure out what I'm doing. So what was that first step that you took at that time? Was it directly to real estate? Were you searching for something? What was it like? Well, so the, the first thing is, so that first year for me was actually really easy at home. And the reason I found it to be really easy is because my daughter had a lot of very specific things that she needed to do. She had, she came home on uh, oxygen. She came home on a feeding tube, uh, a lot of little things like that, but they were very dictated. So it was just a routine. I get up, we do something at every certain interval. And it was, it was kind of a cakewalk to, to be honest, far easier than it is now that they have the freedoms that they have. So what happened is in between that, in between just the general caretaking and the playing that we were doing, I did a lot of thinking and writing, journaling, trying to just process what it was that was most interesting to me. What is it that I liked about the field of architecture? What is it about the profession that excited me? What did I not like? What are the things that I didn't want to do? And one of the things that was really tough for me is uh, dealing with clients and dealing with the application of somebody else's vision, not my own. And I loved architecture because I loved the idea of creativity and working towards a vision. And when you sit down and you're working on a multi-million dollar factory that is completely driven by the CEO of the company that's building it, you, you're really focused on what they want. And your job is to produce what is necessary for them. And that's fine, except it was really leaving a lot of what I enjoyed on the table. So I wanted to find a way to get some more freedoms. So I spent a lot of time just trying to circle through that, a lot of brainstorming, a lot of prayers, <laughs> a lot of journaling, just trying to figure out what fit best. And I ended up basically, I mean, obviously I knew what flipping was, but I ended up thinking that that was something that I could experiment with because it would give me some control. It would allow me to have control over certain, at least certain parts of the process and essentially try my hand at taking some on, something on completely myself. So that, I guess, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, it's interesting. I want to go uh, very quickly touch on the cakewalk with your daughter, right? Because there's a lot of people who are like, feeding tube, what, are you, what is this guy talking about? Like, th this is on oxygen, all this stuff. And I, so I have a, a similar um, experience with James, right? He, he was yeah. on the feeding tube. We had to blend all of his food. Um, but he's, he's very regimented and routine, like you said. If I stay on his routine, he doesn't have a problem. If we, so a lot of times we're a little bit uncomfortable going to other places, staying overnight somewhere. He has his stuff. He has his routine. It's, it's not necessarily like uh, an autistic child, but for me, James, there's – he. I can change his attention back to certain things. And I know like at night I turn this on, then I turn this on, then I do this and then he goes to bed and no problem. But if somebody else came in to try to deal with that, they don't know his routine and he starts screaming and, and getting a, a little bit crazy. So I, I feel the same way. And when you have one and that's all you're doing, it's like when, when Lucy, my wife takes the, our other two kids to England and James stays home and I'm home with him for a week. 
it is actually a lot easier than when we have the other kids running around and all this other craziness that's happening. Yeah, when I can focus just on that and my job and like the work that I do, it's, it's doable. And it's, it's not necessarily, it's actually becomes a little bit easier. So I can feel for you there. So just yeah. for anybody out there who's like, I don't even know how he did that. Um, I think it becomes your reality, right? And your reality, it, this is what I do. I do it every day. It's, it's systemized. It's, it's, it's routine. You have control of the process, like you say. Um, and obviously you're taking care of your, your loved one, uh, your yeah. little baby. And so I, I always find when Lucy's gone, the kids are gone. It's just me and James. I have a ton of free time on my hands. I can, I can study, I can learn, I can do all that stuff. I've seen your journals. They're pretty impressive. Um, you definitely, uh, it sounds like you've been doing that for a long time. So now you said, okay, flipping is it. Um, was it like immediate success? Did you jump right in? What did that process look like? Like you found flipping, you decided this is something that you'd like to do. What did you do then? So the next step was really trying to figure out how, how do I get into it? Because obviously working in, for somebody else, you're told what to do. You sit down, you're, you're more of a minion, you're just doing your job at that point. So I needed to figure out what the heck I had to do. So th that essentially was online, starting to Google how to flip houses, just what does that world look like and how do you start to get into it? Ultimately, I wasn't looking for a group, I wasn't looking for a mastermind, I was just looking for education just to figure out how to kind of get myself in there. And that's when I discovered the seven figure group. And that's when I discovered Justin. I found him pretty early on in, in his um, content that he had. But I, like I said, I wasn't looking to join anything. I was just looking for, for education, just material to, to, to get myself closer to, to being able to do a deal. Um, I wanted to go to his event. It looked really interesting. The first, it was the, his second event. I wasn't able to participate in that one. I, I was interested, but it just never, it just didn't, didn't happen. So once I missed that event, my brain clicked and I said, that's it. I have to go to the next one. And it just, it just felt like something that I needed to be a part of. Like I needed to go and meet this guy, meet all the people that are a part of this process and start to surround myself with this world that I'm starting to enter into. So that took me to the first Flip Hacking Live, which was in 2018. Okay, and so you wanted, to, you wanted to go to Flip Hacking Live in 2017, but couldn't. Uh -huh. We talked pre-show, you had some personal things that were going on. And yep. so did you do anything between that Flip Hacking Live 2017 and the next year, 2018? Or, or were you just kind of like, I'm just gonna wait till next year to get started and I'm gonna go to this event and that's gonna kick off my journey. You know, what was that by, that time, by that time, I had already decided I'm gonna do this and I already had been looking at what it was maybe going to take to do a deal. So I had already been doing homework. I had already been doing studying and starting to learn a little bit about how to evaluate deals. And actually when I went to, uh, when I went to flip packing live 2018, I already had my first deal under contract and it was a perfect example of as soon as you start to put things in action, things start to happen. I was at a, a, a local seminar, a local event, and someone literally said, get on your phone right now, get on your Facebook page and tell people you're looking for houses. And it turned out it was one of my college buddies that was like, I desperately want to get out of my house. And I was like, all right, well, let's talk about this and let's see if we can make something happen. So that ultimately was my first deal. It lucked out, luckily it came out to be a little bit simpler process than some of the current ones we're doing, but it was a great example of all I had to do is take out my phone and just tell people I'm looking and a deal was sitting there waiting for me, ready to go.
So when I went to the first event, we already had something under contract, which is amazing. Awesome. So that, that's a, that's an interesting concept, right? A lot of times we keep this a secret until we become successful. Then we start talking about it. I think we talked about it on the podcast that I did with Susan Lasseter Lyons about raising money. You have this secret identity that she talks about, right? So yeah. once you put yourself out there and you say, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Uh, it's, we're at a time where real estate's really popular. They're excited about it. That people are watching the HGTV shows, all this stuff is happening, right? So um, they want to be a part of it. So people want to invest in it, especially now we got this, we're, we're recording this during the coronavirus time towards the end of it. Uh, or I, I actually, I don't know if it's towards the end of it. It's we're early May, right? So we're, people are starting to come out of quarantine in some states and cities. And so what, what we see is people want to get out of the stock market and come in here. So you got to put yourself out there. And I, you know, that's the, that, that we talked about, that's a light switch that has to happen. I, I struggled with that. I really did. I saw myself, I didn't see myself as that until I became that thing, right? I didn't look at myself as a wholesaler until I was doing wholesale deals regularly, where I should have just put a, a list in the back and said, hey guys, sign up on my list. I'm a new wholesaler in the area like everybody else did. But instead, I'm hard-headed, uh, type A personality that doesn't want to say that I am something until I've already become it. So that's the problem that I see a lot of times. And looking back, I wish I did things a little bit differently. So, yeah. okay, the so other, you had this. The, the other thing that's amazing about that is that you don't realize that a lot of people forget that they're providing the opportunity for somebody else. I didn't realize how badly my friend wanted to get out of that house. I, if I knew how bad, if I was better at, at working with the negotiation side of it, if I had that knowledge, I probably could have gotten a significantly better deal because he desperately wanted out of that thing. And if I hadn't put myself out there, I would never have known that. So you got to remember that you're providing that opportunity for other people. Yes, you're looking for deals, but there are people that are looking for that opportunity to get help. So just being, being not so shy, and I'm still working on it today, but not being so shy about just putting the word out there and saying, hey, I'm available. I'm here. I'm ready to do this. Is there something I can do to help you? Yeah. And I think that goes with sellers, buyers, uh, raising money, lenders, all that stuff. That's the opportunity, Everything. right? Everybody. So at, t at 2018, you show up to Flip Hacking Live and uh, we were in La Jolla, if I remember right, that year. And you were like um, around your people, right? There's just like, everybody's there. It's not, you, you don't have to hide in there. Like the, everybody's got their cape on and their superpowers there and everybody's a flipper wholesaler or getting information and stuff like that. So, um, and you guys hit the scene pretty hard. I remember that your dad was with you, right? That was yeah, the year that your yeah. dad came. So, yeah, came. and like you guys just went out and you talked to everybody. You just wanted to talk to me and spend time. Like I've really felt like you jumped in there and you took advantage of that opportunity. Like what was that like that event? It was pretty, pretty incredible. Like you said, first of all, just to be in that environment with, a whole bunch of other people that are looking to do either the same or very similar, as well as having a whole group of people that are significantly further ahead where I want to be, you know, significantly ahead of, of where I am and the direction that I'm trying to go. And the knowledge that these people are here to help move me forward. And they're here because they want to share and teach. And that was really incredible because I hadn't really had that exposure in other parts of my life. I hadn't gotten surrounded by a group of people that what they want to do is, is not just, you know, point the finger and tell me it was, let me hold my hand out and let me help you get to where you want to go. Let me help to lead you and teach you and bring you along for the ride as well. As long as you're willing to put in the time and effort, we're going to help you and we're going to be a part of that. 
And when I walked into that event, it was, I mean, it was, it was pretty emotional for me. It was very, uh, it was very exciting. <laughs> it was definitely intimidating because I was at the very beginning of the stage and we had other people there that were doing millions of dollars. And it's like, I'm, I'm not a million dollar business. I'm starting to do my first deal. And that's scary. It's a big deal. But I really felt good when I got there. I mean, it was emotionally, I felt like I belonged there. And it wasn't because of something that was said to me. It wasn't because of any one person. I just walked into that room and felt like, okay, this is a place where I need to be. It just, it just, it was very emotional. And I said, this is, this is a group. I really feel comfortable. And I feel like I need to be a part of this. And that was a lot for me about diving in and really starting to get to know different people in different parts of the process and start to better open up my world about what is, what is this whole investing thing? What is flipping? I did not know flipping was a business the way that I'm starting to explore it now. I just thought it was flipping houses, you know, more of what everyone's exposed to. So it was kind of eye opening as to what I could really do with it. But it just, it just felt so amazing to be there. So, so it sounds to me like there's a, it's like this, this community, this group of people there, right? And when you walk in, you, it's, it's like you're attracted to it or you're repelled from it, right? You feel like the sense of belonging. And it, I almost wonder if it's like you're kind of like earning your stripes. Because I remember the first time that I walked into that, um, that seven-figure flipping meeting. So I didn't have, Flip Hacking Live wasn't a thing when I joined. It wasn't any of the stuff. I walked into that first meeting. There was like 20, some of us, probably 20 of us. And immediately I had this like, I think it was probably similar to what you felt. I had this extreme respect for those people. I realized that they were just normal people, even though I'd heard them on podcasts. Uh, they were they were successful at the time. Uh, they were doing like great things, and but they welcomed me. They like invited me in to their community, their little world. They had these like little cliques inside of there, and these people that knew each other already from before, and they've been part of like house flipping formula. And I didn't even know what they were talking about, or they had done some deals together, or heard each other on the podcast, or talked before. And so they kind of like welcomed me in, let me in. And I just felt like at that point I said, wow, like I can do this. Like I can become just like them. I can do that thing. And it was just all part of just getting into that, that right place. That was right yeah. for me. It was my right fit. And fortunately right. it was the first place that I went into, not like the third or fourth or fifth place yeah. or the 10th person that I paid for a seminar or something like that. It was, it was my place. And now I spend a lot of time talking about how you got to find your tribe. You got to find the place that, that matches up for you. And we're not for everybody. We got to make sure that, you know, you got to find the people that you resonate, that you want to be a part of in that community, because that's, what's really important is we bring in the right people and we want them to stay. And we want to, like you said, when you open up your hand, we want to be able to take it and, and pull yeah. you in the right direction. Yeah. Open arms is what you said. And that was one of the big things for me is I really felt like I was welcome to be there and I was welcome to join in if, if I wanted to be a part of that. And that, that was a, that was really huge for me because I was looking for a group to associate myself with. And I found a really great group of people that I really knew that I wanted to continue to build and, and explore and, and go further with. Cool. So you had the opportunity at that event, obviously you weren't, um, you weren't ready for seven figure flipping and we had a group called six figure flipping at the time. And oh. that was an opportunity. So you obviously didn't join that group. Like what was going on in your mind at that time? You knew this was the place for you, but you decided to kind of not do that at that time. Why was that? And what, 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 how did it turn out for you? Like, where did you go from there? 
Okay, so at that point, it was essentially all hands on deck, but it's a question of, okay, how do I actually find a way to do this? And that is still the challenge I'm dealing with today because I'm still a full-time stay-at-home parent and it's learning how to juggle day to day. Um, Six-figure flipping is something that I knew I wanted to do as a stepping stone because my goal is to get to seven-figure, get to not only get to that level of group, but take myself to another level. Uh, I ended up not joining that six-figure group and really it was a financial decision. It was something I knew I wanted to do, but I didn't know if I could truly make that commitment. And I spent a lot more time tooling around with the idea than I probably should have. We've talked a couple of different times about, you know, making decisions, making the decision, sticking with it, and then going. You know, once you evaluate, once you evaluate the situation around you, you make that choice and you go. And that's something that I have to do more. That's something I'm working on. Uh, but at that time, it was like I knew I wanted to do it, but I didn't know if it was risk, if it was too much risk. I was weighing out the the balance of the value that I would get out of it versus the upfront cost and trying to decide, okay, if I've got X number of dollars available, am I going to put that into a group <laughs> to be a part of something? Am I going to put that into the first deal that I'm going to do? Uh, it, it, I had that limited capacity and ultimately I decided I was going to save that funding for that first deal. And then once I got a little bit further along, then I would, then I would actually make the decision to join up. Cool. So, so it, it sounds like you got these, you got these emotional decisions and logical decisions, right? And emotionally, yeah. you're in, logically, you're like, it's just, I just can't do it. I remember having multiple conversations with you of like, Hey, like, should I do this? And it wasn't even just then it was like over the next year. Right. And you yeah. saying, Hey, should I do it? It's going to stretch me really thin. And my answer to you, if I remember correctly, was always like, you got to do the best thing for you and your family. Like nobody yep. can make this decision, but you. And I think that's the the biggest thing for anybody that's looking for a group to join or talking to somebody, whether it's a mastermind group or an event or anything like that, like it's got to make sense for you. You've got to be able to, uh, but you're the one that has to make the decision. Like I, yeah. if somebody is pushing you to make that decision, I tell, I tell our uh, sales director, the, uh, alt the guy who brings in uh, people into altitude, uh, his name's Dave. I say, Dave, like, first of all, I know that our fulfillment is so good that people need what we have. And when like your responsibility is when you find that person that really needs it is to give them as much opportunity to, to jump in and join us as, as you can, like you should feel really good about taking their credit card information. Right. And, but you also can't, you also can't force anybody to do anything because really retention is, is the key for, for me and, and this company. Like I really want people to renew. I want people to stay with us because it means their business is successful, they're successful, and they love being a part of it. And so if I can bring somebody in and, and hold them you know, together for three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, that's really what it's all about. It's not about bringing somebody in for just a month or two and yeah. them not have, being, having the financial uh, ability to continue with us or decide this isn't for them, all of those things, or this isn't the right group for them. So for you, emotionally in, financially and logically, you're out. So, yeah. so what's the next year look like? Are you, are you doing deals on a regular basis? Are you continuing to educate yourself? What, what then? Yeah, so, the, so my financial runway was pretty tight. And that was why I ultimately didn't do six, the six-figure group. I, emotionally, I was locked and loaded. I was ready to go and get in there and be a part of it. But I knew I just didn't have the finances. I already had some of the education. I already had some of the knowledge. So we started looking for deals. We started trying to go to work. And I'll tell you that first year, uh, it was very challenging. Uh, we ultimately ended up getting a couple of rental properties, which was 
part of, uh, I, I basically decided I was going to buy those, the two properties that we have now, I made the decision to buy those before they came available. I had already gone through the process um, of making the decision, doing the evaluations, and I had already had my numbers decided ahead of time. Should I have done that as opposed to waiting to find my first first real flip? I don't know. We could we could have a whole separate conversation about that. Uh, but that's part of my long term strategy, and so that was also something that was weighing on me and something I was looking at. So I had an opportunity. Those came up, and I had already run my numbers, and so we jumped on those. And those are out of state, so it's a, kind of a different conversation than this. But so we bought those first two properties. At the same time, I was looking at houses pretty actively. I had an agent that I was working with directly. We were going out, we were touring houses. We put in uh, lots of offers, uh, probably six, eight at least offers uh, on houses that we were really trying to get our hands on. Luckily, I wasn't so ambitious to not discover a few things that I'm glad I found. Uh, for example, septic systems can be a beast. So um, I was very fortunate to be moving just slow enough to find out some of those problems before diving in. But we were really trying to find a house. And it took, uh, it took a lot more work than I expected it would. Uh, and then ultimately, we found one. Uh, I worked with my agent. It was actually an MLS deal. And we just hit, hit hard with the numbers, negotiated it down, and ended up getting a pretty good price. So come Flip Hacking Live 2018, we had our first project underway. That was, was uh, our... 2000, 2019, right? So it was the next year? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. 2019. So, okay, I want to back up a little bit because right around uh, midway through there, I did an event in Nashville. It was a six-figure event. It's the first time that we'd ever opened up a six-figure event to somebody who wasn't a member where they could just buy a ticket to the event, come, and then decide whether they wanted to join or not. So they basically attend the event and then decide if they want to put that cost of, the, uh, of their ticket to the event towards the, the program. And you reached out and you said, hey, I'm really interested in coming. This is something that I want to do. And uh, it was in Nashville. I brought in my team. Um, I want to say it was around the middle of the year then. It was probably just before uh, Flip Hacking Live. And so the people who, yeah, it was. It was like, I don't know. Uh, it was like February. So it was six months before the, oh no, it was April. Six months before the October event. So it was right around this time of year in Nashville and you flew out there and I remember seeing you and we talked and you spent those couple days there. And, um, I want to say like, and the reason I want to tell this story is because I've, I talk about dedication. I talk about what it, like doing what it takes. And can you tell me a little bit, like, just remind me like where you were sleeping? Did you have a hotel the whole time? Like what was the financial commitment for you to get there? Was it really, um, a stretch and a stressful time for you? And what did that feel like? Yeah, it was, well, first of all, it was part of the commitment. I knew I wanted to be a part of the group, even though I hadn't been able to commit to the six-figure program. I knew I wanted to get more involved. I wanted to get to know people. I wanted to get some more of the education component. Um, I had liked your story, and I had felt, uh, so especially with our, our situation with our children, I had felt uh, like I wanted to get to know you better and know more about what you had done. I had also enjoyed learning about your story and the growth that you had gone through. So once I found out that you were doing uh, one of the masterminds at your own place, I just, I just said, I gotta be there. Uh, it was definitely uh, a financial commitment. You know, it's not, it's not cheap to go stay somewhere and fly and pay for an event. And 
Uh, but I, it, it was one of the decisions where I said, that's it, I have to go. I told my wife, I need to be at this event. I have to be there and I need to participate. Um, <laughs> it was not, you know, not cheap, uh, you know, to be completely honest, but I knew that there was going to be a lot of value there. And I knew that that was a, something I needed to be a part of, uh, stayed at the hotel, uh, where the event took place. Um, but I was trying to watch every penny. So lots of granola bars, uh, you know, tried to eat on the cheap when I was there and then, uh, loved the free coffee in the back. <laughs> that was great. Um, ultimately I ended up staying at the airport, uh, when I was leaving because I didn't want to have to pay for another night of hotel. So I stayed really late at the hotel and then went and went ended up going to the airport pretty much in the middle of the night. Uh, sleeping in the lounge there so that I could get, you know, whatever the cheapest flight was. So it, it was a balancing act of being a part of the event as best I could and trying to save every penny along the way. But I mean, the content that I got was fantastic. And there still today are a lot of things I haven't started to actually work on because there's so many different things to do. But I'm always looking back at my notes. I've got my folder of, of material that I collected from that. And there's such amazing content there that, I mean, I'm gonna to continue to get education from that for a long time. Uh, so it was definitely well worth the time to go and be part of that. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I think, the, I think the biggest thing that I wanted to cover, and I, I didn't mean, hopefully I didn't embarrass you or anything. Like I, th oh, I know no. you're pretty open with that. But when I was talking to you that last night, I was like, so are you staying tonight? You know, what are you doing? Uh, he's like, actually, yeah, I'm staying in the airport tonight. Like I fly out early tomorrow morning. I didn't want to buy another hotel room. And just at that moment, it just like clicks in my mind. It's like, this is what dedication looks like. This is what, like, it's not, I can't afford it. It's more like the, how can I, how can I afford it? How can I make this work? What are some ways that I can make some adjustments to make sure that this happens? Ever since I met you at Flip Hacking Live, I knew that you were going to be successful. I just didn't know when. Like I was, it was just, we're just kind of like, waiting for you to just explode because I've never seen anybody work as hard and put in the time. And I think what we, what a lot of us don't realize is that this is not, it's not a super easy business. It's not easy to do this. It's not you like when I talk at Flip Hacking Live last year about your why, like you have to have such a strong why because you keep slamming into walls. You keep, I just did a Mike Tyson podcast. You just keep getting punched in the face, right? We keep getting knocked down you have to be able to get back up and something has to pull you up. Like, it sounds to me like you felt called to go there. You were like, I'm going there. I'm going to figure out how to do it. And when we feel called, like when we're tapped to do something, like nothing is going to stop us. And that's the really driven people, the people that are going to go through a wall to get where they need to go. And I feel like there's been plenty of times in my life and my journey when I've had to do that. And when I, I can see it in people, like it's there. Like I'm sure that you have that fire so you can see it in somebody else. And you can also see when they're just not there. They're like, what are you going to do for me? Like, yeah. what is this? Like, where's my handout? I, I, I want to do my first deal next week. Like we're years into your story right now. And you're, you're taking like these singles, you're getting something done and you're working, you're working and working for six more months, nine more months, 12 more months until the next one comes where most people turn around and, and run away. I've told this story multiple times. My first wholesale deal took four and a half months. Like, yeah. What, what happens when you, and $22,000 into it, I am not including the mastermind group that I joined. So you know, it's, it's a commitment and a dedication that some people have that other people just say that they have. Like saying you have it, it's different, but showing up and, and eating granola bars. We, we fed you lunch too. I mean, I, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I got some lunch, and some dinners and stuff for them. So uh, you weren't just eating granola bars. So no, uh, no. 
not no, it was a, no, it was and a then, great event. And then uh, you sh- at, during lunch, it's just like stuff more. Uh, you should have lined your pockets with Ziploc <laughs> bags or saran wrap, you know, just stuff your pockets full of sandwiches. And yeah. so then, you know, going and staying in the airport that night, like that's true dedication, right? So, um, you know, most people say, I can't, I can't, I can't, instead of saying like, how can I, what is this going to do for me? And what's the investment that you're making? You're making an investment in yourself. So you left there coming up to Flip Hacking Live 2019. And so this is, I bought the company. uh, I'm rolling out Flip Hack. Like this is my first event running the company, right? And um, you came to that event now with your uh, now second deal under contract. So this is your first true flip founded on the MLS. Um, How'd you finance that deal? How'd you find the money? Yeah, so we did hard money loan with that deal. We actually were going to, we like to learn from our, our deals. So uh, we were going to do private lending. I actually had found somebody through the group that I was going to use. And uh, I ended up not having a backup plan. And it turned out that they were hoping that the funding was going to be available when I thought that the, the funding was already available. So literally at the 11th hour, they said, I'm sorry, I, I don't have the funds. So we prayed and fought and we found a hard money lender through, uh, you know, just basically reaching out to our network and said, we need money and we need it now. And I found somebody who was able to work with us and get us what we needed in a timely manner. And (laughs) we somehow, by some miracle, were able to lock that deal up. It was a hard money loan. Uh, We had a rehab loan that was part of the process and yeah, and we just got it locked up. It was, it was quite a miracle that happened, but you know, it was through hard work and using my network around me that it, it, we were able to pull it off. Yeah. I was just going to say this stuff doesn't happen by chance, right? Um, it's, it was hard work, dedication. Again, you hit a wall, you didn't quit. You, people just say, okay, I'm going to cancel the contract. Uh, went back at it. And so what did, what did that, that flip look like? You, um, Let's talk about that and then we'll kind of come back to Flip Hacking Live 2019 and talk about some of the differences. So you got that house under contract, you, you bought it and it was a full renovation. What, maybe yeah. share some of the numbers, get some people excited. What did it look like? Yeah, well, I didn't have my numbers available. It was a complete, a complete gut. So it was about, let's see, four bedroom, two bath, 14, 1300 square feet, two story in a you know, decent area. And it, it needed top to bottom, complete gut. It had... Uh, it was very dirty inside. It, it wasn't a hoarder house. It didn't have a lot of material inside that we had to clean out, but the house itself was in very rough shape. It needed complete uh, repair on the outside. It needed paint, it needed to be cleaned, a little bit of roof work. On the inside, there was a lot of damage to drywall. A lot of the trim work had been damaged. So we, other than kitchen cabinets, which were in decent shape, we stripped it. We had to do a lot of uh, drywall repair, drywall replacement. We stripped all the finishes, all the fixtures, everything com- got completely gutted. New bathrooms, uh, new flooring, new paint, new trim throughout, uh, all the hardware, new doors. We had to you know, adjust some of the closets. And then the one big thing that we had to do was uh, there was a very unique kind of a heating system. So you're familiar with radiant floors. Yeah. Uh, this house had a radiant system that actually had fan, uh, fan vents. So it's just like a like a wall cadet, except it works through the radiant system. So that was the major system that needed some repair. But it, it was just an all, just a, a little bit of everything basically on that house. So um, you had never, you'd never done a full rehab like that and you decided to just go all in. <laughs> Pretty much. 
pretty All much. Right. And so how did it work out? How long did it take? Um, what, just give me the kind of cliff notes. Uh, did you yeah, make money so, on it? What did it look like? Yeah, so it was about a two-month renovation. We'd had probably six or seven contractors uh, walk the deal ahead of time. We found one that, you know, perfect scenario in that it was kind of middle of the road as far as what their estimate was. Uh, really good rapport with that contractor. We were really convinced that the quality of work that they do was going to be an asset to the project. So we brought them in. They were good to work with. Um, obviously, it wasn't completely easygoing. We had a few issues along the way. Um, one of our subcontractors we had a very difficult time with. Uh, we'll save that one for another conversation. Uh, so so but, you, you had six or seven contractors give you bids on here. I think it'll be helpful. Yeah. Everybody struggles with contractors. This is your first deal for your yeah. big renovation job. Um, what was that? What was, how did you find contractors? What were some of the tips that you'd give for people that are looking for that right now? Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways. First of all, uh, when you drive around, you drive for driving for contractors. It's something I've been hearing a lot more about. I am getting really good at seeing a van, pulling out my phone, snapping a picture or handing a business card out my window, asking for their business card, pulling over to a job site, just starting to get to know all these people that are around. Because if they're working in, in your neighborhood, you know, they'll come to your neighborhood or wherever it is that you're going. Uh, there's some online sources, there's Angie's List, there's Thumbtack, a couple of these other different places that are nice because contractors pay to be a part of those. And so they're actually actively looking for projects. And so you can actually submit a project, tell what you're looking for, and they will actually come to you and say, oh, I'm not available, don't contact me. Or yes, I'm available, I would like to be a part of this project and be considered. So we were able to get a pretty good number of people to come out walk it and i'll tell you you have to get contractors out on your site and meet them in person because conversations over the phone just don't work so you got to meet them in person and you can instantly tell some of those people right away it's like i had one that was very highly recommended to me as soon as i started talking to him in person i said this is not somebody i feel like i want to work with and they come highly recommended but it just didn't feel like they were going to be a good fit for what we were trying to do so Take the time, get contractors out there, get to know them a little bit more, and then figure out what's going to be about the right balance for your project. So we found yeah, a think, good one. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, trust your gut on that stuff. Like the yeah. core values. I think you, what you're, uh, what I hear when you say that is they just don't fit your personality and your core values. And yeah. uh, like if you get an uneasy feeling, and I've had it a couple times. I've told a few stories on here that I've had just by personal residence. I've had a contractor that you know did a little bit of work then stopped showing up. Um, I think Thumbtack, if it's in your area, could be a great resource. I think that's a great a, a piece of advice. I found a, a great contractor here in Nashville when I moved here to help me with some flooring, put up a wall, finish a bathroom with me, do all kinds of stuff, uh, and it's just phenomenal guy. I, anytime I need something, I'll, I'll send him a text message and, um, and vice versa if he needs any advice yeah. on investments or anything like that. So yeah, um, and the contractor, yeah, really good that, contractor that we ended up using uh, came from a hard money lender that I'd been working with, that I'd been talking to. So they, it, it was just a side note, hey, you should give these, a, give these guys a call. And we did. And uh, I've worked with them for a couple of projects now and referred them to family member for some work. So we're starting to build a relationship there. Awesome. So uh, a couple months, got it done. Uh, yeah. What did it look like at the end? Did you make money? Did you lose yeah, money? I, what was the structure? Yeah, I think we ended up making around 20. I thought I was going to make 40, but it turns out that I'm not as good at num running numbers as I need to be. <laughs> so we didn't quite make as much as we were hoping, but it, it, it showed a couple things. One, it works. It, it can be done. 
You don't have to have a thousand years of experience to get in there and do a deal and have success. It also shows how important those upfront negotiations are. That if we bought it for what it was listed for, there's no way we would have made anything. We would have lost a lot of money. And so that upfront price uh, makes a big difference. Uh, about 20 grand felt really good. It's like, all right, we did it. Let's, uh, let's move on to the next one. All right. So at the end, at the end of that, make $20,000 and you're yeah. expecting 40. So uh, are you disappointed in that? How do you like, how do you truly feel? You're like, felt good, move to the next one. Like, how did it really feel? Like, tell me how it really felt. Cause this for you, like, this has been a long journey, right? It's a long yeah. road. And it, well, I know it, that you've been was, trying for this. Yeah, it, it was both. I mean, I still today am learning how I want to run my numbers. And that's something that's going to take, it's going to take me years to really feel like I get it dialed into where I need it to be. And that's something I'm looking forward to figuring out as I, as I do a few more projects and start to figure out what, what the true pricing needs to be, not what it should be, but what it needs to be for a deal. Then I'll be able to have a true expectation about what I what I actually think that I would make on a deal. So that one, I mean, there was definitely disappointment about what I thought I would make, but I was pretty excited to have one done, a full one, have it done, make some money. And like I said, I come from the design background. So for me, I was really proud of the product. And that for me is a huge part. I know some people that's not that's not important to them. Obviously, they don't want to produce garbage, but the the product is not as important as the process and making money. For me, that product is really important because that's that's me. That's that's what I'm trying to do is create a product to be proud of that comes from something that was very not something that a person would be proud of. So it wasn't just the financial gain. It was I was really proud of the product and I was really excited that hey, this is something we created. And I'm excited that we get to put this on the market and people are going to come and look at it and be excited. So that was a really big reward for me. That was, I mean, for me, that wasn't the conclusion of deal one. That was the conclusion of since I entered architecture school, that was a really momentous, uh, mo that was a, that was a really big deal. So yes, for me, you're obviously talking, you're talking about like 10 years, you're talking yeah. about like 10 years, right? Yeah. So, so obviously I was happy to make money, but, Finally, I produced a product and had something that I was really proud of. There were things that we could have done better, things we could have changed, whatever. But it, it was a great stepping stone and something that I was ready to say, I want to do this again. I want to do another one of these. Let's, let's get this thing moving. So uh, you, you, you may know this, you may not, but I, I looked at it. I remember seeing the Facebook post about it. I remember seeing it because you were talking about that deal with me, um, you know, talking about how do I get some financing before I was, I, I got some questions along the way and I just felt, I, I don't know if I've ever been more proud of one of our members than that. I think it's because of your grit and determination that I saw for the last like, you know, year plus of you coming to these events, just seeing that and putting in the work. And finally, that payday comes, that payoff. Even when you got, you got it first under contract, I was like, yes, you closed it. And you're like, okay, I'm flipping my first like, big deal. I was like, this is incredible. And then to see you sell it, to see the posts, the after pictures, how proud you were. I don't know. I felt like a, uh, I don't know, like a proud, uh, 
Godfather or, or you know something like that. It's just amazing to see that. So really cool, really cool to see. I'm, I'm incredibly proud of you. And you were you were obviously inside of the group. So you went to Flip Hacking Live 2019, and um, you came to that event in San Diego again. Um, what were things different with you financially? What what was it like for at that event versus the year before? Uh, because obviously you're wearing the seven figure runway hat, so you must have made a decision there. So yep. what was that? What was that like for you? And um, like, how was it different than the year before? Well, I think the biggest difference was now that I had gone through a deal and knew what it really took, it was going, it was the transition from, okay, how do I do one deal? How do I explore getting into this? The transition to, okay, I'm going to start to really put a business together. And I'm still at square one. I'm still at the very early stages. I'm still doing everything on my own, except for people that I'm networking with. But I have to start to actually build a, a full business around me if I want to grow, if I want to become more than just a deal here, a deal there. Because quite frankly, now that I've gone through the process, doing a deal isn't as challenging as we make it out to be at the beginning. You do one or two deals and it's like, oh, okay, that's, that's not so bad. I can handle that. That's okay. But we don't want to stop there. We want, we want to create a business that has an actual income and a paycheck. And we want to bring other people in. We want to create something bigger. And so that second event for me was, um, well, felt different to be there having had a, a full deal under our belt. It felt like, okay, now I really feel like I'm here. Now I'm really going to sink myself into this, sink my teeth into it, and start to grab onto a lot more uh, specifics. I knew certain things that I had done poorly, certain, certain things I had done well. So I had an idea of things that I needed to get out of the event. And it, it was really great to go with a, certain, with a different perspective and knowing that I needed to work on, <laughs> needed to work on raising money, I need to work on my marketing, and I work, need to work on how do I actually turn this from looking like a hobby into a business? Because this is gonna be a business for me. It's not, this is not a hobby. This is something I'm going all in. And I don't know how to do that yet. I'm still working on it. And that's what that event was for me. It was starting to get the vision, the, the whole idea in my head. So, you know, I'm interested to hear your wife is still working for full time. I'm assuming you've yep. got, um, how does she feel about all this, especially like coming in and jumping into a, a group like the runway group? How, how did that go? Uh, so I think she, <laughs> well, it's kind of, I can't really speak for her, but she knows that, I'm, I've been looking for a place to fit that, that I've always, I mean, the ambition and the drive that I have is something I've always had and I hasn't fit anywhere yet. It's, it's been floating here and there and I want to do this and I want to do that. And it hasn't had a place to go yet. And now it has a place. And now <laughs> it's like, now I'm, now I'm here and now I'm ready to absolutely take off. I mean, you know, pun intended. I mean, I'm on the runway and I am ready to launch, ready to go. Uh, her fear is the financials because we're still really early. We don't, we don't have that extra capital built up yet. We're just getting things moving. Uh, but she's excited. She says, I could never do what you do. And she knows that this is my place and she's got her things that she likes. And, and I think she's excited to, to see where I take this. I've got a very long list of very big goals. We haven't gotten into any of that kind of stuff yet. Um, but 
I think she sees that this is this is a way that I can actually launch myself towards what it is that I want to get to, towards those bigger goals, towards that bigger vision. And uh, just last night, I put a date on when I want her to retire. And it's scary, and I've got a lot of work to do in order to get there. But we had a conversation yesterday, and I said, what if I told you tomorrow you could quit? Would you be ready? And she says, yeah, I think I'd be ready. Uh, and so we've even put it, I've even put it, I haven't even talked to her about it yet. Uh, but I put a tentative date on it because I want to have, I want to have that target. I want to have something that I'm working directly towards. That's awesome. You know, um, I'm not going to put you on the spot and tell us the date, <laughs> but, um, I think that's really cool. I think it's, um, you know, some people, I feel, I feel like you have this, you got the passion, you got the drive, like we've been talking about. It's all been bottled up. Like you said, for the last, you know, five years bouncing around. Uh, after architecture school, trying to figure out your place, find the spot, then coming home and then trying to figure out what that looks like. And now you can almost just like take all of this force and focus it into one area. Um, yeah. I have no doubt that you're going to reach some of those big goals that you have. So uh, why don't we jump into those? So, and just before we do that, you, you've done, so you've got that first flip under your belt and then you've got another one, right? That you've been working on. That's just one on the, just one under contract, right? It's closing. Yeah. Soon. Yeah, so to give my the full history, so the couple of years ago we did our first one that turned out to be a wholesale. I spent one day hard labor cleaning it, and then we decided to just try and throw it on the market. And we had a lot of interest, so we sold that one. And then we ended up getting our two rentals, which we still have. There's been some challenges, but they're still there, and we're still making a little bit of money. And we'll kind of see what happens with those. Then we did our first full flip last, uh, you know, last fall sold that in January. And then we were able to get another one locked up end of February. And we're about 10 days out from closing on that. We uh, are not going to make near as much on that one. We bought too high, spent too much, extremely proud of the product that we created. But this is an example of, I'm so proud of what we did, but I got to do it better because I got to make some money. <laughs> yeah, um, It's an amazing product, but the numbers weren't so good. Uh, but we learned so much in the process. And as I start to think about doing the next deal, we, we've got some ideas. We've got one or two leads we're starting to pursue. Um, I have a lot more uh, basis now that I've done two deals to better understand a lot of the other things that I need to evaluate so that on the next deal, I can better judge all my numbers, get a better idea of the rehab costs, what I need to actually pay for the property. Um, so I mean, on, on the second deal, which is, you know, like I said, about 10 days out, super excited for it to close. It was a great opportunity for me to realize that uh, I, I'm going to school here and I may not make a lot of money on this, but let's just, let's just say I made 500 bucks, which would be, most people would think, wow, that's awful. What a waste. You just did all that work. You just spent two months rehabbing all that money and say I make 500 bucks or a thousand bucks. I just got paid to learn. And I didn't just learn, I learned a heck of a lot, built more relationships, got huge education. And the knowledge that I got from that and then from my first deal, we're gonna be able to put those two things together, put it on paper, evaluate it, and take that into the next deal. And we are gonna make money on the next one. There's no way we can lose by, by applying the knowledge that we've gotten. It's gonna grow from there. And I mean, it's never going to be perfect, but we're going to be able to take that and apply it and put it to work and do a lot better on the next one. 
So I'm glad you said that going to school because this is exactly where my mind goes when you when you talk about that is you got you're getting paid to learn right now. Yeah. And so some one of my biggest learning lessons I'd say the house that I learned the most off of was a house that I lost seventy thousand dollars on seven zero. Uh, if you're listening, seventy thousand. I keep telling my wife because she she's so scared and so worried from the financial. I mean, she's the breadwinner. She's the one that that takes care of our family. And you know, I mean, that for me has always been the biggest thing is I don't want to put my my family in financial jeopardy. But Bill lost seventy thousand dollars. If we come out on even on this one, we're still okay. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You're right. And you know, I hate that I had to lose um, a ton of money on it, but it taught me a lot of things not to do. And and by, by no means do I wish that on anyone, but. I think to your point, made $500, uh, learn a bunch, go out and figure out how to turn that into 50,000, 60,000, a hundred thousand on the next one and, yeah. and dial it in. You're kind of like just bracketing, um, uh, where you, where you're going. So, yeah. um, okay. So what are some of the big goals that you have now going forward? So one of the biggest goals for me is for my wife to retire. She's worked really, really hard. She's been working since before I even was out of school. So she's, she's put in her time. Obviously, we're not 60 years old yet, but she's put in a lot of effort, a lot of time. She's made the sacrifice of being gone while I've made the sacrifice of being home. And so we're ready, we're ready to make that flip-flop so she can have more time with the family, more time with the kids, and be able to be a part of some of the things that she's missed out on since she was working. Because while I was at home wanting to be working, I was still getting to be a part of a lot of those things that our kids have uh, done, you know, when they first start, when they first start walking, when they first start talking, she's not been able to be as available. And for me, my dreams and visions are way out there. They're very big, a lot of things that I want to do. And so we're ready to make that shift so that she can get to have the time with family and I can start to really go out there and pursue some of those bigger things. Um, so the first, that first big goal is for her to be able to retire and have the time with family. Uh, we would like to build our own home someday. That's something that I thought we were going to do when I was little, that, that our family was going to build a home. And so I'm looking to build my own property somewhere someday. We don't know what it'll be, but that's definitely a big one. Um, for me, one of the other ones is, um, is my holy cause. And you'll probably remember that from Satema. Uh, I got a heck of a lot out of that, out of that, pre that uh, interview that you did with him. And for me, there's a lot of things that I want to be able to teach my kids and show my kids. And some of them are things that I learned from uh, my family growing up. And some of them are things that I want to be able to give to them. And so for me to be able to go back to work and start to pursue some of the bigger targets, it's going to give me some, some of the other opportunity to do those things with my kids and demonstrate some things to them. That's awesome. You know, it's, that's very near and dear to my heart too. Like that's, yeah. that's my why, right? My kids, yeah. my boys, I wanted to be able to look at me and say that they're proud of me, that they want to, you know, I've been their, their mentor, their guide through life, all that stuff. So um, and being, being around when they're, when they're little and when they start remembering, right. So yeah. just being able to drop everything and be places I need to be like, you know, next Friday, James has a, um, uh, sedated echo and I want to be able to shut my Friday down and go because I can, yeah. not because I'm deployed. I have to ask for time off work. I have to ask for permission to go on vacation, that kind of stuff. I can do what I want to do. So I can, I can 
relate to you big time on that, especially yeah. with the kids. And I know I a lot of people it, listening can too. I think there's a balance component and that's one of the things that is so important to me personally. And being home with my kids for the last six years, has, so we have two kids, uh, my daughter's six and a half, our son is three and a half, and both of them have heck of a lot of energy, which is amazing. But I come from at a little, a little different angle than a lot of other people because I hear a lot of people talk about how they, their, their big why is that they want to be able to be free from work so that they can be home. And as much as I love my kids, I, I have ambitions within, you know, within myself that I want to pursue. And I mean, I could try to give certain, you know, certain items, but that doesn't really matter. I, I want to do bigger and better things myself. But within that, I want to be able to teach my kids about going for those dreams, going for those things that I want in life. And that's one of the things that Satema talks a lot about with that holy cause is that, well, I want to be able to show my kids that daddy has goals. He has dreams. He has visions. But he doesn't just say it. He goes out and he does it. And this is how he does it. And this is why he does it. And for me, it's not just about having the time to be with my kids. It's also about having the opportunity to demonstrate to them about some of those bigger and better things. Because yes, they will remember the times that I was with them and I want to be able to be with them for whatever it is, a hospital trip or a sporting event, whatever it is that they do. But I also want to have that opportunity to teach them those lessons about when they grow up and they have things that they want to do. What does it take to do that? We were, we were a family that had a lot of energy put into dreaming big and not as much energy put into how do you actually go out and achieve those? How do you go out and get that dream that you want so bad? And for me, I'm learning how to do that right now. And in that process of teaching myself how to do it, I wanna be able to teach those to my kids too. Well, I think they'll see that. They'll see the hardworking, they'll see the drive, they'll see the passion, they'll see all that stuff. And I think that's the best we can do. I think you made a good point is, um, you know, we're not always gonna be there for our kids, right? So we need to teach them, you know, the things that they, they should be doing when we're not. And, you know, who are they when we're not around? And it's interesting. My, uh, my oldest son is five. He's, he turned six in about three weeks. He's really excited about that. And he's growing up to be a little, a little person, right? He's got his own, um, he makes his own decisions. He's getting himself dressed. He's brushing his own teeth. He's, he's got his own little attitude sometimes and talking back. And, but he's got these hopes and these dreams that I want to make sure that I don't smash down. And I think that's a, what happens to a lot of us is we get a little bit burned out or we say, no, you can't do that. And they have these, his imagination is just insane right now. And I really have to make it a point to encourage that like be encouraging to him to say, chase him, man. What do you want to do? Yeah. He wants to be the first kid on the moon. And I want, to, I, I want to say, hey, let's figure out how to do that. Like, how can you do that? I don't think they're sending any kids to the moon right now, but you could be the first kid to the moon. Like, what yeah. do you have to do? So then it, I focus that energy on the homework. Well, you got to be good at math. You got to be good at science. We did a science experiment yesterday and um, stuff like that. So really, really cool. Uh, I so I got a couple of, questions. Okay, go ahead. I think one of the things that's amazing about this process of, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to build and grow, you know, what, through entrepreneurship is that I'm learning a heck of a lot about what it takes, of course, to build a business and to move myself forward. But that's teaching me a lot about how to take that to my kids because I have to have the drive and I have to have the ambition and I have to put in the time and the effort. And that's helping me to remember that when, just like what you said, when my kid says, 
I want to be this someday, or I want to do that. It's like, okay, let's do it. Let's figure out what it's going to take. If you decide someday you don't want to do that, great. But until that day, let's pursue it and let's figure out. Let's not limit ourselves. Let's try. Let's give it the effort. Yeah, I think, I think our kids are going to be lucky that we're entrepreneurs and we are going to let them dream big and, and go figure out what they can do. So, um, and obviously, you know, I'm not going to push them into anything. They're going to do what they want to do. So I got a couple of questions here for you. I know we're wrapping up on time. So um, maybe we'll do them pretty quick. Uh, okay. as, as you were talking, the big thing that, that I was hearing was um, you were looking for education. You were educating yourself. You have a background in uh, kind of going to school, right? The higher education side of things. So do you feel like that was a, um, a hindrance to moving forward? Like it could have gone a lot faster if you didn't spend so much time educating and taking your time? Or do you feel like the journey that you had was just right for you? Well, I think I mean, I totally believe that the journey I've gone through has been right for me, whatever it is. So whatever a person is going through, I think that I think that they're where they need to be. But I think the argument that I would give. So I was so I was pushing along through a lot of the study material. And I had a conversation with Andy at one point, And I said, you know, I, I feel like I have to get through X number of material before I hit the ground running. And he said, absolutely there's material you need to learn you can't just do this without studying but you need to put 80 percent of your effort into taking action and maybe it's not that low <laughs> maybe it's a lot higher so you're going to continue to learn along the way but you have to hit the ground running you have to put in the time and the effort because you can learn 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 but if you don't actually put it into action you're never going to get anywhere so yes the education is important there's a lot of things you need to learn and know and lots of things that can help you to avoid mistakes along the way. But if you don't start taking steps forward, you're never going to get there. So you have to start taking action right from the get go. I think that's an awesome answer. I've got nothing to add to that. So really well done. The, um, the, the, and everybody's a little bit different, right? So what's the most important, um, like what was the most impactful thing that you got from Flip Hacking Live this year? So it was like one presentation, one thing, any of that stuff that was impactful or um, uh, the most important part of that? What did you think? Oh. <laughs> well, it's hard to give an answer because there's so many different things. Obviously, I think that the guest speakers that we've had have been unbelievable. Walter Bond and Jocko, each of them has their own amazing story to tell, which is, which is pretty incredible. And then, of course, every single person who's there, every member who's there has a story. And I find that to be incredible. Um, I don't know if I have one tidbit of learning, but I think what I would do is I'd actually step a little bit further back. Uh, one thing I was thinking about is that the thing about the group, about the seven-figure group for me that has been such a big deal and, and even getting into the real estate investing side of things is that all the time that I worked for somebody else, I, I knew I wanted to do something bigger and not necessarily better, but I wanted to do something bigger. I wanted to go further and I wanted to have big dreams and big goals. But once I got a part of the group and once I got into the investing world and once I got around the people that are going to help me to drive forward, I found that my purpose and my vision started to focus. And as I, as I worked in traditional architecture firms, I couldn't ever really see forward of where maybe I wanted to go. And I'm a pretty visual person. So I have to kind of have 
I have to be able to embody that, that entire image. Once I got into this group and into this part of the, the architectural sphere, I actually could see it happening. I could finally see the vision. I don't know when it's gonna happen. I don't know what it's gonna to take to get there, but I could actually see it happening. I could actually see that this is doable. I can see the path forward. I can see someday really reaching those bigger dreams that I have. And, it, and that focus for me is part of what drives me forward is that now that vision actually has a reality and I know that this is gonna happen. It may take me a long time. It may take me not very long, I don't know. But I know what's gonna happen and I know that this is a group that's gonna help drive me forward. And that's, I mean, for me, it's not just about, oh, I learned about a marketing strategy or I, know, I learned about how to raise more money. Those are business building tactics. But for me, it's, I can actually see my vision forward and now I can really drive hard forward because I know that that is tangible. And that's, for me, that has really been the single biggest thing. It's actually being able to picture that vision forward and now I can really grind forward and work towards it because I know it's going to happen now. Yeah. So a lot of people are looking for that like silver bullet, right? Like what's that one thing that's going to change everything for me. And a lot of times it's, I mean, I think it comes down to the, the mindset and, and the attitude and, and the, the, um, like you, you're, you're getting inspired by everything else that's going on around you and you can see the path forward, right? It's like the fog clears and now I can see my, my way and you found your way. I think it's really cool. Um, so last question I got for you is um, for those that are kind of on the fence to going to Flip Hacking Live, and this will probably come out somewhere uh, toward the time where they're going to be making a decision, like what would be your recommendation for them to, to go, not go, um, and, then, and why? Like what, what's, what would you say to somebody who's kind of like, I don't know if this is for me? Well, I think one of the first things is it, for someone who's exploring the idea, I think, I think it's important to put yourself in that environment. If it's something that you think you might want to do, this is a great environment to get around the people that are doing it and to get exposed to a lot of the different parts of the process of trying to build a flipping or a wholesaling business. So if you're exploring the idea of doing this as a, as a job, as, as your career, this is a great opportunity to really get in deep and see what it's going to take and be able to talk to people about what, uh, you know, what the world is like. And for those people that are already in, <laughs> in the environment that already know that this is something they want to do, you have to be there because the, the number of people that are there, the quality of the people that are there, the character of the people is off the charts. The, the groups that we're in, I mean, the accountability groups that we're participating in by being in the runway program, the quality of the coaches. I mean, one of the coaches is in my accountability group and I've got literally phone, phone call away, ask him anything I want. Uh, don't cover up anything. We're, we're in this together. I mean, the coaches are still building a business. They're not some far off guru who's talking about something here and there and, and pointing the finger there. I mean, you, Bill, you're right in the middle of this. You're, you still got a business to run. You guys are still learning and growing every, every single day. So everybody who's at this event is doing it and is practicing what they preach and helping to learn along with everybody else. I mean, right now with the coronavirus, we're all huddling together and saying, okay, what do we need to do? to help keep our businesses growing in this time that so many things are shrinking. So 
I would just say that if, if you're in the world, this is an event that you really want to be a part of because it's going to give you a lot of what you probably are missing in order to be able to grow your business. And if you're thinking about being in this environment and doing flipping or wholesaling, this is a great place to come and just get your feet wet and find out what it's like. All right. So I'm going to wrap that up with uh, Matt said, uh, every single person has to be there, whether you're thinking about doing it or doing it, it's a no brainer to attend the event. So I totally agree. I, obviously hearing it from me is one thing, hearing it from someone who's been there. And it's, it's funny because your story, um, was so inspirational at those moments, right? Those are the times where you felt it sounded like, like most alive, excited, like that's the thing that gave you the courage to continue to go to, to say, this is for me, this is it. And I think when you see that, that thing, you know it, you're there. And then you just devoured the material and started continuing to research, taking action, stuff like that. So look, Matt, I'm proud of you. I'm really excited for where you're going. I can't wait to start the countdown clock on your wife's retirement uh, to get her out of that job. <laughs> She's going to be excited. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, keep up the incredible work with, uh, with those uh, two little kids of yours. It's, uh, it's just amazing to see. I'm really excited uh, one day to have your wife retired, come to an event, bring the family, and we can all uh, meet up and spend some time together. So thank you so much for joining me today. I had a really good time. Your story is inspirational. You're passionate. You're dedicated. You're driven. It's sky's the limit. I can't wait to see you uh, take off, uh, pun intended, right? So Yes, all right. absolutely. Well, thank Thanks, you so Matt. much, Bill. I really appreciate your time. I know that you've got a lot on your plate, and I'm really excited to get to be here and have the conversation with you. Um, I'm, I'm an open person, so anybody who wants to reach out to me, don't hesitate. I'm here to, to have conversation with anybody who needs it. I'm happy to answer any questions and uh, hopefully give you a little punch of motivation to keep moving forward because this, awesome. uh, hey, this is hey, an exciting before, time. Before we get off, I got one more question for you. Okay. When you came to Flip Hacking Live and we took a picture together, me, you, and your dad, and we were talking, did you think that one day you would be on the podcast that you started listening to in the very beginning? No, not on the podcast. Not at all. And I right. still, still, still can't believe it because I don't, I don't feel like I'm really worthy yet. But, oh man. Like I'm telling you right now, this is going to be one of the top rated podcasts, the most inspirational ones that I've done. It's just amazing. Like if people just, I wish I could just take the, the memory that I had from that time. Like you're, you're so memorable at that event because you were just, you were in it. You were always there. Like anytime I was there, you were there. I think you were the first one in and the last one out every day. And that's, and same thing at the six figure meeting in the morning, you're there. And at the end of the day, you and I are walking out together and you are taking advantage of everything. And that's how you become successful guys. Like take some notes, write it down, take notes from Matt. That's how you become successful. That is how, that's what I did. I was a sponge. I soaked up all of Andy's knowledge, all of Mike Simmons's knowledge, all of Justin, everybody that was around me, everything that I could get, I took it in created this little Frankenstein business that worked for me and built it out. And now obviously have become successful and gotten to where I am. People ask me all the time, how do you do it? They just want the golden, the gold, the silver bullet, right? They want the, the, they want the answer. They want the get rich quick thing. And guess what? It takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. And Matt has been doing it for years and years and years. And some of you guys, it'll take a couple months, a couple weeks. Some of you guys, it'll take a year, two years, three years. Everybody's a little bit different. But like Matt said, you're on the journey that you need to be on. You don't know it now. But when you look back, God is putting you in these places. He's, he's directing you. You're getting a little push, a little shove. It's like, it's like the, the little bowling alley with the bumpers in the lanes, right? It's just keeping you going down the path. And even though you don't see it, you're going through struggles, you're going through pain, stuff's happening in your life. 
and your world, you're on the right journey. When you look back, you'll see it. Like you'll get to the destination and go, wow, that was all by design. Although it was painful during it, you're going somewhere for a reason. Matt, awesome, awesome, awesome time today. I had a really good time talking with you. Thank you so much, Bill. Appreciate it. You're inspirational, man. I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go to the gym and throw up like 300 pounds on the bench. I know. I need to go do that too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Matt. See ya. Thank you. Hey, it's Bill again, and I want to personally invite you to our biggest event of the year, Flip Hacking Live. If you could copy the exact deal sources, marketing strategies, negotiation tactics, and business systems of the most successful house flippers and wholesalers in the nation, how would that change your business? Flip Hacking Live is a three-day event that we do just once per year, and it's happening October 15th through the 17th. We bring in the nation's top wholesalers and house flippers to walk you through everything they're doing how they're marketing directly to sellers, how they're picking up discounted off-market properties, how they're doubling their close ratio with the right negotiation tactics, how they're raising millions of dollars in private money, the things they're doing that other investors aren't doing, all of it. These are the guys and gals who are actively doing deals at a high volume in today's market all across the country. You get their full attention for three days. They have agreed to hold nothing back and you'll be right there with them so you can ask questions and get clarification on anything that you need. This is your chance to hack the nation's top flippers and wholesalers and ethically steal their exact strategies and systems. All you have to do is take notes, ask questions, and apply what you learn. But first, you need to get a ticket. We've sold out every year and ticket prices go up every few months. So go to fliphackinglive.com right now and get your tickets today. Fliphackinglive.com, October 15th through the 17th. This is an event that you cannot afford to miss.